Well, again, I'm so glad that all of you are here with us today. Thank you for being with us. If you were here last week as a guest and now you've come back, I want to just say thank you so much for doing that. We're delighted that you are here. And we're starting a brand new series today that I think may be one of the more helpful series that we've done for quite some time. And you've come on the very first Sunday of that. And we're going to talk about the pursuit of happiness. And uh, I'm anxious to just take you through this study. Uh, We're going to learn a lot together. And we're probably going to be tested together. Uh, Often, I don't know how this works this way. But often, if I'm going to be talking about something, I'm generally, I don't plan it this way, of course, but I'm generally tested with it in some regard, the pursuit of happiness. And it happened as early as a couple of nights ago. Brandon, Nicole, the girls were all flying, as I mentioned to you, uh, down from Illinois. And so they had a late incoming flight a little after 10 o'clock Friday night, made it over to the airport and uh, got part, went inside because we'd helped a lot of vehicles because we knew there'd be a lot of stuff. In fact, the stuff started coming off the little conveyor, you know, how that works and two suitcases came off and they were both about as big as a small compact car and uh, so those those were there and then uh, golf clubs were unloaded because it's one of the great commandments thou shalt not come to Florida without golf clubs and so and those those were taken off and a, a, a stroller huge stroller you know that you could put I think about 28 kids in that one came off and then uh, a car seat and then waiting for another car seat and waiting and waiting and waiting for another car seat to came uh, to come and as the wait went on my happiness seemed to go down. You know, like, where's that car seat at? You know, is it in Bloomington? Is it somewhere in this airport? And, and that, uh, that question has not been answered yet. We're not sure where it is. Unfortunately, the airline gave, uh, gave us a car seat. We just couldn't imagine the kids running around inside the car while we were driving back to Lakeland. And so they gave us a car seat. But, uh, you know, you're always going to be tested in some way or the other. As we get started this morning, I want you to think about the most happy, optimistic joyful person that you know. This is a person when you really think about them, their gratitude level is always really, really high. They're grateful people. They're positive people. They're the kind of people you want to be around when you're a little bit downcast in your heart, when you're a little bit discouraged. They're upbeat. And just being around them, around a person like I'm describing right now, has a way of just, it's like they breathe a little life into you. And you know that kind of person, maybe somebody like that comes to mind even now. Now contrast that person with one that we might would call a joy-challenged person. They rarely seem happy. Most often they're negative. Most often they're bitter. They're a chronic complainer. Do you know anybody like this? Please, no nudging anybody in the ribs, no pointing, none of that. It's not allowed. And uh, they're just, you know, if the joy-filled person is, is sort of a glass, is always half full kind of person, and, and this other person is always, you know, if there's a negative slant, it's going to be found. Just hanging out with this person, you know, the other kind of person breathes a little life into you, but this person just leaves you. I mean, whenever your, your time with him is over, you just feel so absolutely emotionally drained. Now, having said this, uh, here's a silly question. It is the most silly question I've raised for some time. Which of the two people do you most prefer to spend time with? Well, that's easy, isn't it? We want to be around the positive person, the upbeat person, the person that is joyful. And there's something about that that is contagious. And and I think when you imagine that, you've got to make a determination in your own life. And you've got to practice 
you know, a little bit of uh, self-realization. You know, you got to have some awareness about your own self and say, which kind of person am I? And if you don't know which kind of person you are, between the two that I've just described, ask the people that know you most. And give them, but before you ask them, give them permission to be entirely truthful. All right? If you don't give them permission to be entirely truthful, they're going to just answer the way that uh, you think that they, you know, want them to answer. They'll answer accordingly. But just say, hey, uh, you know, be real with me. What kind of person? You heard Pastor Jeff describing two kinds of people. Which type person most reflects me? And ask them that. And then you give them permission. Just say, no, I really, really want you uh, to, to be honest with me. And if they say, well, you know, of course, you know, I'm just being completely honest. You're that happy optimistic, joyful person, positive. And, and when they tell you that, you just, you just uh, sigh and you just feel some relief and you just keep moving in that direction. If they have the guts to tell you the truth and you're not that kind of person, that you're negative, you're chronically complaining, you're bitter, you're joy challenged, and they tell you, well, you're sort of more like that. Let me tell you, don't get defensive. Don't get defensive. Receive that from somebody that loves you and somebody that knows you and then just start settling it in your own heart and spirit. What do I have to do to become the kind of person that I really want to become? So keep that in mind. And today in many ways is going to be an overview of this series, but I want to ask you another question. And this is broader than just our own individuality. This would be in the context of our church. What if non-church people What if individuals that are maybe far from God, really, really far from God, that when they heard the word Christian, now I want to just help you out because some of you just think anytime anybody hears the word Christian, they have great, they have great ideas and thoughts in regards to that. And that would not be so. But what if because a non-believer, an unchurched person, somebody far from God heard the word Christian, they didn't think what a lot of times people think of when they hear that word like arrogance or judgmentalism, but instead they thought in terms of joyful. And maybe they even had you come to mind because they're like, they hear this word and they know that where you work or where you go to school, that you say, you declare, you don't hide it, thankfully that you're a Christian. But then when they, they see your life, they see that you are a positive person. You're not a chronic complainer. You're not negative. You're, you're a positive, upbeat person. And so when they think of you, they think of somebody that is joyful and they sort of connect the dots. Well, you're a Christian and you're joyful. So maybe that's what Christianity is most like. Well, beginning today and then for the next four Sundays, I want to very practically and also passionately talk to you about this whole idea of the pursuit of happiness. And we really need to talk about this because everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. Now, there may be some people that are just sort of deranged and they say, I don't want to be happy. I just want to be unhappy the rest of my life. Well, you know, they probably will. They'll fulfill their own destiny. But most people are not like that. Most people in regards to happiness uh, are just the way that they are in regards to being loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be happy. But for people who want to be happy but are not, a lot of times happiness can be incredibly elusive. It's like, I want that, but I don't know how to become a happy person. And so how do I do that? And that's what we're going to be talking about today and for the next four Sundays in this five-week series.
Well, I read not too long ago where mental health experts say, think about this, that depression is about 10 times more common today than it was in the 1960s. Just think about that, 10 times more prevailing. They say, listen to this, uh, they say that the average age for the onset of depression in 1960 was 29 and a half years old. I'm going to give you the answer, but anybody in your mind want to guess what that age is today, all right? The average age for the onset of depression. That many years ago, 29 and a half. Today, it is actually 14 and a half years of age. That's frightening. And today, our overarching theme, of course, is what's going to be talked about each week. It's the pursuit of happiness, but today's topic is simply this. What's better than being happy? What's better than being happy? And you might be thinking, well, there's not too much that would be better than that. But we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just challenge your thinking a little bit. And I think that by the time, if you'll hang with me and give me some of your best mental horsepower and stay fully engaged, I think that by the end, it's all going to make a lot of sense to you. What's better than being happy? And we're going to dive into the New Testament book of Philippians to explore this. You see, joy is the great theme of Philippians. It's a short New Testament letter. It's only four chapters. It's not that long at all. But do you realize that in those short four chapters, words like joy or rejoice or rejoicing are used some 14 different times. In fact, Paul uses this whole idea more in his letter to the Philippian believers than he does to any other group of people, more than any other New Testament book that he wrote. And what makes this even more impressive when you think about it, is the condition that, uh, that Paul is in when he writes this letter. So he's writing about joy. Think about that. He's writing about rejoicing and, and re you know, he's writing about these things and you'd think, wow, everything is going well in Paul's life. He, you know, he's worked hard and, and, and now he's at the end of his life and things are going really good and he sees retirement and he's going to live, you know, on this island and life is going to be good for him. But think about this, friends. When Paul writes, Philippians, which we're going to be looking at during this, during this series, he is actually writing the letter from prison. He is writing the letter while he is in chains. Literally, he's chained to Roman soldiers. Think about that. Now, uh, let's start with the very first verse of Romans. Uh, Romans, I'm talking about Roman soldiers. We're not going to Romans. We're going to Philippians. Philippians 1, let's start in the very first verse, and you're going to see it up here on the screen. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is like his intro. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? With joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains as he is right now or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. They had been partners in, with Paul in his ministry. He said, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to come back in just a moment to Philippians 
Uh, but just before we do, I want to mention to you, because I think this is important to mention at the onset of this series, what some writers have referred to as the happiness paradox. The happiness paradox. And you really need to uh, dial in right here. The happiness paradox. What is that? It is actually this reality that if the ultimate goal of my life, you really need to hear this now, that if the ultimate goal of my life is to be happy, then I will most likely not be very happy. Think about that. If that is my goal, if that's what I want more than anything in life is to be happy, if that is all I'm geared up to experience, then most likely I will not be very happy. Happiness is usually a byproduct. You've got to hear this now, a byproduct of pursuing something else that is much greater and much bigger than personal happiness. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Let's say instead of our motivating reality being just this happy person, and I'll come to what, if we have an inaccurate pursuit, what that will lead to, but let's say we don't do that. We set that aside, and instead we pursued a meaningful life rather than a happy life, then guess what happens if you want to experience a meaningful life and you achieve that, then usually happiness gets thrown in. Does that make sense? Wave to me a little bit like this, if that makes sense. If I just say, more than anything else in my life, I want to be happy, and if that's what we set ourselves and we pursue it inaccurately, you know what it does? It causes me, if I'm not careful, to become a shallow, self-centered person. But if instead I have much bigger, greater uh, realities for my life, and I just say, well, you know what? It's not about being happiness. That's not my first pursuit. But to live a meaningful life, if I am living a meaningful life, guess what? Happiness gets thrown into the context of that. But a lot of people are not like that. A lot of people, it's just, all right, if I experience this, then I will become a happy person. And, and I see this play out all the time, and I'm sure you do. Maybe you've experienced this personally in your own life where you just say, you know what? I'm not happy now, and I will not be happy. I will not be happy until I have that particular job. As long as this, I'm in this job, I'm going to be unhappy. And I will be unhappy until I have that job. I don't like the house I live in. I don't like the apartment. I want it to be bigger. I want it to be nicer. I am not happy now. But if I can only live in that house or a house like that, then I'll be happy. You know what? If I could have that guy, if I could have him, you know, or I could have that girl, then I'm going to become a happy person. If I can finally make it to retirement, I'll be happy. If I had that car instead of my car, if I had somebody else's net worth instead of my net worth. And a lot of people have that. If I could take from where I'm at and I could have this, then I'd become a happy person. You know what? I've seen it. You've seen it. A lot of times people are not happy. They have these things and they're still not happy because they've never pursued a meaningful life. Is this making sense? Instead, it's all about if I have this or that. In other words, if we aim at meaning in life, happiness tends to accompany it. But if all we aim at is being happy, we probably will neither get happiness or meaningfulness. So in the balance of our time, and I can do this, I really can. I see my countdown clock that I asked the guys to run for me, and I know I can do this. I'm going to quickly give you some observations for them about a meaningful life that if you do these four things, you experience a meaningful life, and a meaningful life will lead toward joy. So I'm going to do it quick so you get ready. Number one, here's the first observation. Joy actually follows acts of kindness and compassion. Joy actually follows acts of kindness and compassion. 
Now, it's interesting to note that when Paul writes to these people here in Philippi, he is keenly aware that they are living in a ladder-climbing culture. This is all, they're a colony actually of, of Rome and, you know, the whole, and I wish I had more time to give you some of the historical narrative uh, about that, but their whole concept is quite cosmopolitan and, and people in their culture, they're like ladder climbing and he knows who's he, who is who, who writing to. And so this notion was that the higher that you go up the ladder, that the happier you're going to be. And this, you know, this was prevailing in Philippi. You know, the higher I climb in terms of importance and popularity and uh, worth and, and, you know, finances and resources, all of these things, you know, the higher I climb up the ladder, the happier person I'm going to be. And this is what is going on in Philippi. Now, of course, nothing like that ever happens in our current culture, does it? It does all the time. The higher I climb up the ladder, the happier I'm going to be. And Paul understands that this is their thinking. And so he's going to really debunk it, really. And so when he writes this letter, Philippians, he is going to encourage them to do just the opposite of what they were surrounded by in their culture. And he's going to tell them, hey, real happiness, real joy, real meaningful, uh, meaningfulness in life is not happening necessarily when you climb the ladder. But why don't you do what Jesus did? Why don't you develop? This is what he says to them, why don't you develop the mindset of Jesus himself, who, even though he was in very nature, God actually took upon himself the nature of a servant. And what did Jesus do? Jesus actually climbed down the ladder, not up. And Jesus got this exactly right because he always does. I can remember one time a group of guys, we were playing in a very, very uh, nice, the nicest golf course I've ever played out on the West Coast. This has been many years ago, and playing in the homes. The course alone was breathtaking, but the homes, and, and it was just amazing. And I, I can remember, we're all looking, and it's just so, it's just unimaginable, unattainable. I mean, and we're just looking at the views and the course and the homes, and I thought it was so funny what one of the guys said. Uh, we're standing on the tee box, getting ready to tee off for the group in front of us to clear, and one of the guys, he, he turns and he looks at this uh, mammoth, uh, it, more than a house, mammoth uh, mansion. And then he looks back at us and looks at the house. And, he, and this is what he said. And we understood. He said, they're not happy. They're not happy. And, and we're not sure about that. But we understood his point. If they were not happy when they moved into the house, the house is not going to make them happy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so Paul is saying, you know what? You think in Philippi where this ladder climbing culture exists and you're surrounded by it every single day, you think that if you climb the ladder, that's going to make you happy. And he's saying, no, it is much bigger and greater than that. Let me share with you a practical reality right here. Real joy comes. Listen now. Real joy comes not when people do for me, but when I do for other people. You want to live a miserable life? By the way, I encourage you, you got to be back next week. And the focus next week is going to be on how can you live a miserable life? That's going to be the focus right out of Philippians. So if there's somebody you don't like, you may want to bring them with you next Sunday. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, 
how do you live? And it's contrasting with, you know, if you want to live a miserable life, which of course none of us want to, we want to live a joy-filled life. But if you want to guarantee yourself a miserable life, then here are the things you can do. And of course, we're going to want to avoid those things. It's a really, really, really important talk. You need to be here for next week. But see, a lot of times people think, if I just get people to do for me, and that's all that happens. You know what? That does not lead toward a joy-filled life. That leads toward a miserable life. If instead, when I'm used by God to meet a need that someone else has, then that's often where joy comes from. You just think about it in your own life. When do you generally speak, generally speaking, you find the most joy? It's oftentimes when you're responding in kindness and compassion towards somebody that is in need. I see this happen, and again, I told you I wanted to speak to this subject matter passionately, but also pragmatically, practically, and that is I see people all the time who this is what they say and this is what they do. I want friends. I don't have any friends, but I want friends, and I know how I'm going to get them. I'm going to sit right here until these potential friends come to me, and guess what's going to happen? I hate to break your heart. They're not showing up. If that is your attitude, you know what? I want friends, and I'm going to sit here bitter and upset and complaining about the friends I don't have until they show up and choose to become my friends. They're not showing up. You, you've got to get up. And I, I don't know why we don't understand. The Bible even addresses this, that those people who want to have friends show themselves friendly. If you want friends, let me tell you how to have friends. Go out and make friends. And when you go out and make friends, don't build your friendship based on what they can do for you. I see this the same way people say, I want to be happy. I see people say, I want to be, I want to have friends. I don't have friends. I want friends and I need them to come to me. I see people doing the same thing in matters of happiness, personal happiness. I want to be happy and I'll be happy when people come to me. All right, you come to me. You come serve me. You listen, many times the happiness quota of your life is not based on how many people are serving you. It is based on how many people you are serving. I want to be happy, people say, so come to me. But that's not the way of Jesus. And it's really not the way toward a meaningful life. So if you want to have meaning in life, if you want to experience true joy, and I know that all of you do, then look for a need. Look for people that have needs and meet those needs. Become an increasingly generous person. Start doing things beyond yourself. Life, listen, nobody's told you this lately, so I guess it's my responsibility. Life is not all about you. It's not. What could you start doing for other people? And you start doing for other people, I'm telling you, you you experience a meaningful life because your life is about serving and helping and meeting needs and caring for people and being generous and that your, your meaningfulness in life grows. And with that come, happiness just gets thrown in. So firstly, firstly, what's better than being happy? And we're talking about that. Joy actually follows acts of kindness and compassion. Secondly, if we suffer somehow, if we suffer somehow, it may affect the happy life, but it is incapable of affecting the meaningful life. Let me say that again. It's more lengthy than I'd ordinarily give you. If we suffer somehow, it may affect the happy life, but it is incapable of affecting the meaningful life. Now, we often think in this kind of way, 
that if we're going through any form of pain, if we're going through any suffering, any difficulty whatsoever, that joy is not even a possibility. And yet the Bible tells us something that is completely different. And Paul, this great apostle who is writing to these believers living in Philippi, he knows this personally. And the reason why he knows this, again, I don't have a lot of time on this, but I'll give you enough of an essence of it that you'll capture what is going on and and why Paul is writing in Philippi out of personal experience that he's experienced there. Philippi has not been kind to Paul. While he was there in his ministry, uh, Paul faced enormous amounts of opposition. While he was there, Paul was falsely accused. He was stripped of his clothes. He was severely beaten. And after all of those things happened, he is thrown into prison. And all he's doing, listen, all Paul is doing is what God has asked him to do. And he's going through all this pain, all this challenge, this suffering, this opposition, and all Paul is doing. And so again, he's falsely accused. He's beaten like you can't imagine. He's thrown into prison, fastened, chained, as I mentioned to you, these Roman soldiers. Now, if that happened to you or that happened to me, how do you think you would react to that? If all you were doing was what God asked you to do and you started going through things like this, you'd say, oh man, you know, God, what's up with this? Hey, I don't want this assignment anymore. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I, God, I'm checking out if this is what you're wanting me to do. Now, again, we're going to learn a lot from Paul as we go through Philippians, but I want you to see how he and his friend react. So keep in mind what has happened to him. Now he's been thrown into prison, but look at how he reacts. Look at what he says. This is Acts 16:25. Look at it right here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That's, that's how they're reacting. And the other prisoners were listening to them. By the way, what else are the other prisoners going to do? They're, they're like in prison at midnight. I'm just saying. So they're not complaining. They're singing praises to God. You know what we would be doing? We might would be our, our complaints to God. Hey, God, here I am. I, all I wanted to do is come and tell uh, the believers or, or the people living in Philippi about you and see them become uh, believers and, and look at what has happened to me. And God, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to bellyache and I'm going to complain. I don't like this. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like the opposition. I don't like the pain. But Paul is saying, you know what? I'm just going to sing praise to God. You know why? Because his life was about meaningfulness more than it was about happiness. Because Paul understood, and we're going to see this from him, he knew that if he went for the meaningful life, happiness is going to get thrown in. However, if he went for just a happy life, he was going to miss out on happiness and meaningfulness. Some of you right now are going through a time of suffering in this particular season of your life. And you're convinced that because you're going through it, you can't experience any measure of joy. Maybe your suffering is in your health. Maybe the problem that you have is in your family. Maybe your job really stinks right now. Maybe your finances are moving in the wrong direction. Maybe you're going through a time of utter loneliness. Maybe you've lost somebody you really love. Maybe you've come through the breakup of a family. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're more than discouraged. Maybe you're depressed. I want to just say something in regards to that. Not all of us have the same challenges, but all of us do have challenges. Nobody here has a perfect life. If you have a perfect life, I'd love to meet with you this week because I want to find out how you live a perfect life. I've never had one. I suspect you've not either. Nobody's ever had completely normal circumstances, whatever normal is. 
Now, John Orberg is one of my favorite writers. You know that. And I read every book that he writes. And I love, I love a book that he wrote many years ago. Here's the title of it, and it says it all. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. And you realize they're not normal. But neither are you. We all have challenges. We all have problems. We know none of us have a perfect life, but I'll tell you what we do have. We do all have God, and we have each other. Read this verse with me. Everybody, you'll see it on the screen, Psalm 30, verse 5. The B part of that verse, everybody, let's read it together. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know when your morning's going to come. It may be Monday morning. It may be a month from now. It may be three months or six, maybe a year from now. But I believe this verse. Weeping may last through the night, but there's coming a time when joy is going to be restored. And a lot of times we think, and Paul is going to debunk this, that if we suffer, that it's going to ha- affect the happiness of a life. And it may temper, but it, it is incapable of affecting a meaningful life. Thirdly, let me hurry. Meaning in life comes when we invest in relationships with people. Meaning in life comes when we invest in relationships with people. What matters most to God? I'll tell you, people. What also matters most in life? It is, it is so simple, people. And it is quite clear when you study what Paul is saying. You're going to read it. We're going to go through it. And I hope you'll read these four chapters during these five weeks that we're together. You're going you're gonna to notice that it becomes very clear that it matters a lot to Paul what, what his relationships and his friendships are. Paul authentically cares about people. I want you to take just a moment with me, and I want you to look back. We read these verses along with all eight, the beginning of chapter one a moment ago, but I want you to specifically look this time at verses three and four only. Look at these two verses. Paul is writing to these people in Philippi, and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And here Paul is in the middle of prison, and he's like chained, and, 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 and he's, he's still singing praise to God along with Silas, and, and he's glorifying God in spite of his, and he's talking about his friends, and he's talking about his relationships, and he's saying, every time I think about you, I just get encouraged. I just have a boost in my emotions because I think about you, and I think about our friendships, and I think about our relationships. And Paul was not a guy who said, you know what? I'm just going to go through life solo. I don't need people. You know, I'll take God, but I don't need other people. He had God, but he also had relationships. I was meeting with a guy this week. He's going through a real challenge in his life. And, And this is what he said to me. And it was part of the problem, really. And I told him it was. He said, you know what I've done? He said, as we got sort of the end of our meeting time, he said, you know what I've done? And I look back and see that it's been a big mistake. I have cut myself off from everybody. And I agreed with him. That's a big mistake. But Paul would never even imagine that. Please hear what I'm about to say. Nobody has unhappy relationships and enjoys a happy life. And it is true, also true, that no one has meaningful, joy-filled relationships and has a joyless life. And a lot of times the things that we think are going to be the things that are going to make us happy are not the things that are going to make us happy. Person thinks, well, you know, if this was my, this is again in our current culture, if my income level was right here, you know, here it is, but if it could only get to here, then then I'm going to be happy. And they get to that place and, and they're not happy. 
And they think, okay, well, maybe this was not the magic number. Maybe I need to go here. And then I'm going to, and they're so misconstrued in their thinking. And a lot of times people think, well, if I build wealth, I will become happy. And there's nothing wrong with building wealth. If you can do it, go for it. But just understand, it is not the motivation of your happiness in a meaningful life. What if instead, I'll suggest this, don't stop building wealth. If, and God may have made you very good at that. But what if you put the kind of energy and thought into building relationships the way that you want to build wealth? Oh, man, could you imagine how that could change your life for the good? Fourthly and lastly, the happy life is not rooted in where we're at vocationally. I'll say this a couple of times, financially or physically. It's found in where we're at spiritually. The happy life is not rooted in where we're at. I've been talking a little bit about that already. And the vocational life or financially, where we're at financially or even physically, it's found where we're at spiritually. People just often think this way, if I only lived here, location, if I only lived here, I, sort of like money, sort of like if I had this house, this guy, this girl, this job, this, you know, this nest egg, that, that would make me happy. And a lot of times people think, if I could just live here. Now, I'm a guy from the South, and I hope you will not hold this against me. But if I thought of location, I mean, how good, how good does this sound? For some of you, it say doesn't sound very good to me. But to me, it sounds good. Some of you might would agree. What sounds good to me is to have a, a little home up, up in the northern, uh, in the mountains of North Georgia. And some of you are saying, I, I knew Georgia would come into play. And, so, you know, that's, you're thinking, Jeff, because you think, you know, God primarily exists around Georgia. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, how nice would it be to have a little place up at the mountains of Georgia? And then, make, this is just for me, this is not for you. And to have a little place in St. Augustine. And just go back and forth. I noticed you got a lot more excited when I mentioned Florida. All right. I've got a good friend that he is like a diehard Florida on everything. And so I asked him the other day while we were having a meal together, I said, if you're diehard on Florida on everything, why do you always vacation in my state? Just a thought, just a thought. Wasn't trying to start any trouble. But a lot of times we think that. But I just want to say, you could have those things. I could have those things. I could have a nice little cabin in the mountains of North Georgia and a condominium on the beach in St. Augustine. And I would just say, if I'm not happy before I go there, I'm not going to be happy once I get there. Because it is not about our geographical location that makes us happy. It is our spiritual location. If you're from Canada, please do not take offense of this because I have nothing against this city. But I'm just saying to you, I would rather live in Toronto with Jesus in the cold than to live in Tahiti without him. I'm just saying. I'd rather be in Toronto with Jesus than to be in Tahiti without him. Because it is not where we are, but whose we are. And it's not what we have, but it is this, who has us? A lot of times people think, I'd have real joy. I'd have real joy if I would experience this. My encouragement to you today is to don't make your primary pursuit happiness. Strive for meaningfulness. Because if you experience a meaningful life, guess what? you're going to find that you're a happy person.
because of the kind of life that you're living and the relationships that you have and where you're at in Jesus spiritually. Real joy is not a feeling, and it's not even a good mood. A joy-filled, meaningful life begins and ends in Jesus. I'm out of time, but I want to show you these two verses before we pray. Look at these two verses. First one right here, John 15, 11, and this is Jesus speaking. And this is his will for all of us. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Can you imagine what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, how many of you, by the way, think Jesus is a pretty joyful person? <laughs> and he's saying, you know what I really want? Dr. Hackett, he's saying, this is what I really want. I want, I want the joy that I have. I want it to be in you. I want my joy to be in you. And that's God's will for our lives. But we've got to have the right focus. Look at the last one. Hebrews 12, verse 2, the A part, the first part of the verse. This is what it says. So let us do this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. If we're really going for joy, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? And again, I encourage you, you've got to be here next week. The focus is going to be helpful. A lot of people are living miserable lives. It's because they're going after the wrong thing. And we're going to learn how not to do that and how to move in the right direction. Would you bow your heads, everybody? Would you close your eyes? I mentioned a few moments ago in this talk that everybody has challenges. Everybody faces difficulties. Everybody has negative circumstances. Nobody has a perfect life. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your current pain or your current suffering is like, but I know that God cares, and I know that God loves you, and I know that God wants to help you. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're just going through like this challenge, and you're like, Jeff, I just I need help, man. This thing is just sucking the joy right out of my life, and, and I know that my breakthrough may not come tomorrow morning, but I need some help, and I need some relief soon. I need God to help me. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand right where you're at? Just lift it up. Let me see it right there. I'm going to pray for you. How many of you just say, you know what? I'm not very happy these days, and I, maybe my focus has been off-center, and I just, I just need to shift in my thinking, and I'm just going to be engaged in this. I'm going to learn because I know that God wants his joy to be in me, but I'm not experiencing that right now. And Maybe my focus has been all wrong, and I'm just praying that God would help me to see the way he sees and see my life the way he sees my life. And I'm not really happy right now, but I'm praying and I'm believing that God's going to help me to become a joy-filled person. If that's you, nobody's looking around, just lift your hand up real quick, just sort of throw it up and put it right back down. All right. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're going to help us learn together, how we're going to grow together. God, we thank you for Philippians. It is the book of joy and all of us together are going to learn what a joy-filled life really looks like no matter what we're going through. And you know that there's a lot of people that are going through some pretty, pretty strong challenges, and you know who they are even before they lifted their head, their hand. You know, God, their, their opposition. You know their challenge. You know their frustration. You know their fear, their worry, their anxiety. You know their discouragement. And God, I just pray that you would touch them. I pray that you would, you would just infuse your joy into their life. And again, that we would learn and grow during these next four weeks. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week.